Good morning, everyone. Um, such a pleasure to be sharing the word to you today. Um, if you haven't met me, my name is Tabane Lutuli. And uh, if you're here for the first time, a very warm welcome to you. And yeah, thank you, Brett, for reading. And thank you, Rowan, for such amazing uh, worship. Uh, can we pray before we start? Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the king who is enthroned, the God who reigns, the God who rules, the God who is calling us to come and partner with him in bringing heaven down. We thank you, Lord, for your word, your word which is life unto us, Lord. We pray that as it is ministered this morning, Father God, it will fall on good soil, my king. I pray that you would transform us and change us deep within. Lord, that we would be a people that would come with you, Lord, that we would come away with you, that we would begin to walk with you and not just do church. We pray, Lord God, that you would meet our very needs this morning. We thank you that, Lord, we don't need a, a good um, to-do list or a self-help book, but we need you. And so we bring, bring our hearts to you this morning. Would you work in us, Lord? May your will be done in our lives and in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, um, so we're back on the series of Mark, and I'm super excited to be sharing today. So thank you, Jamie, for allowing me to stand here and preach. So at this point, we've seen that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God to, to, to earth um, as it is in heaven. I almost said it the other way around. We see the lame walk. We see that the blind see. We see that the tax collector and the sinner are all being declared righteous. The promise going back all the way to the Garden of Eden is being fulfilled. And Jesus is undoing the effects of sin and making all things new. And this new, newness comes from teaching. It comes from his teaching. It comes from his word. But so now we find ourselves in chapter 4. We begin with a parable. Now, you may um, ask yourself what a parable is. And I just thought this morning, I won't go deeply in explaining what a parable is. But what I'll do is I'll allow the passage to explain what it is. But just one sentence. It's a story that makes a point. What we're looking for is what will the story, the point of this story be? And basically, it's the fact that the way in which we listen to God's word matters. Am I on? Okay. Yeah, okay. So this is not a new reality for God's people. What we see is that Adam and Eve um, were given a command to listen in the garden. God's law required careful listening. And in the Old Testament, what we see is that God's people are given a command to begin with, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, Israel failed to listen to God, and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. But what we see also is that for 400 years, they, were, they just experienced silence where God wasn't talking to them. And this is just before Christ came. And this happens because of their failure to listen. It should therefore not be surprising that Jesus opens um, his teaching in verse 3 with a command to listen. It's actually a very strong command. It is of colossal vitality. It's a huge command, and it beckons for our attention. But how we respond makes all the, the, the difference. Will we pay attention? So Jesus knew that not everyone who was part of his meetings or his gatherings was there to hear the message. He knew what was in the heart of man. People were listening without listening. They were hearing without hearing. The words went in through one ear and through the out. And in the middle, it was their own preconceived filters. Now, as a result, the word landed on rock-hard surfaces. And this is the surface of their hearts. 
Some were hurt, were hard of hearing. And some, life appeared to take form, but it wasn't carried through. And yet for others, the word began to bear fruit. Now the question to ask here is, what made all these distinctions? What makes all the difference? To find the answer to that, we look at uh, the parable. We must look at this parable in two parts. The first part, we must consider the sower, the one who sows the seed. And secondly, the types of soil. So the sower is the one who sows the seed. A sower went out to sow. What does he sow? In verse 14, it says, the sower sows the word of God. Now, who is the sower? The sower is anyone who shares the word of God. Anyone who takes the initiative to share Christ, to share the message about Jesus Christ. The sower is you. The sower is me. The sower is the preacher on Sunday. The sower is the missionary in a third world country. The sower is the student who sits with his classmates during lectures. The sower is the parent who shares a bedtime story or a Bible story with his children, spreading the word as they go about their life. Now at the foundational level, we can say that the sower is Jesus. He fulfills and encompasses the totality of that role. And in the language of John the Baptist, um, uh, John, John, uh, he is God in the flesh. The word is God in the flesh. He generally, generously spreads the seed or the word to all men so that they would repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, how does the sower sow seed? In the opening verses, um, verse 1 and 2, it reads as follows. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it, and sat, and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. So what we see here is that Jesus taught in parables for all to hear. He was sowing the seed, which is the word, on all kinds of soil. Now, as you would have noticed, there are no reservations. Jesus is, sparing, is not sparingly sowing the seed, but he's doing it generously. Just a quick trivia. In the ancient world, what we, what we see is that um, farmers never plowed. So what happened was they would just spread seed, and some would go to unproductive places. And that was just the nature of farming. Some would fall among thorns, and some would fall among rocks. And a farmer could not make his field ready for um, productivity. And some, sometimes what appeared to be good soil would turn out to be useless. But he spread his soil nonetheless, and he expected a good harvest. He would wait and, and, and hope for a good harvest. Now, that sounds simple, doesn't it? But actually, what we see is that there are many complications that are provided by this parable. Now, let's have a look at verses 10 to 12. It reads as follows. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. So what is Jesus here saying here? Is he telling us that he speaks in parables so that he conceals the kingdom of God? Well, on the surface, we might say he does that. But I think it's safe to say we know that's not true. And actually, Jesus is not malicious or capricious in any sense. The word of God talks about having ears to hear. Not everyone who hears the gospel will hear the gospel. 
And this is a big one. What does it mean to hear the gospel? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talks about how the natural man cannot hear the word of God because it is spiritual, it is spirit. And that being said, only those with, with ears to hear will be able to hear and understand. And that's the power of the story. This does not make the statement easier, though. If we were to be completely honest, it may actually come across as being a little bit unfair. Why, one, may, one may ask, why would Jesus conceal the kingdom of God from those who need to, to, to hear and to understand the most? Doesn't that seem a bit odd? Now let's have a look at verse uh, 12. So that they may look and yet not perceive, they may indeed listen and, and yet not understand, otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. So Jesus actually quotes Isaiah 6 verse 9. This is very important because Jesus himself is acting within the confines of the word. He is bound by the word. Nothing is above um, his word. And even he has placed himself under his word. And so you might know that God speaks to us the loudest when we are in his word. Have you ever found yourself in life seeking for direction or wanting to know the will of God? Well, it's in his word. So Isaiah 6 is the passage where Isaiah is caught in a vision and basically he's overwhelmed by the goodness of God and his own sinfulness. But God comes and he forgives his sin and he sends, he sends him to preach to a people who are, who are hard-hearted. And this is his mission to his generation, that he will tell them that they need to listen, but even though they will not listen. Now, the reason why they won't listen is because they are hard of, of, of hearing. They haven't heeded to his warning. They haven't listened to his proclamation. And since they won't listen, the window to God's kingdom is closing. And it's going to get much harder for them to hear and to understand. But Hosea continues to speak of what's to come. He will simply prophesy about Jesus, about his coming, but they won't understand because they don't want to. They have made themselves hard of hearing. They are sermon-proof, basically. And so what we find now is that Jesus has come and he finds himself in the same situation. So as Jesus has come and he's speaking and proclaiming the message, some people will not have the faintest clue of what he's speaking about. They will fail to understand what they hear. Some will fail to even perceive what they see. And the main reason for that is that they won't accept him. Up to this point, we've, what we have seen happening time and time again in Mark's gospel is that wherever Jesus goes, he runs into major opposition. He is being questioned a lot, and even robustly so. However, he won't let them complicate his message for everyone who wants to hear and those who, who, who have ears to listen. Instead, he will speak in a way that those who are spiritually open will actually hear. Harvest City, this morning, are we a spiritually open people? Now, let's look at those who are on the outside. In essence, those that are on the outside are not denied belief. It just seems that they cannot have further insights into God's kingdom. Not an, until their unbelief um, is done away with. But they still have that opportunity to listen and to repent while they still have the day. And that is essentially why Jesus has come. In effect, Jesus will continue to draw the ones who are near to him, the ones who are open to, to actually hearing his message. 
And it would be helpful to think of the parable as a filter. Some people are genuinely interested in Jesus, but some are pretending to be. And the parable just really sorts them out into these different compartments. And so the big question here is, how do you know where you fit in when it comes to these categories? What type of person are you? And so to find the answer, we look at the different types of soil. But before we get to the four soils, um, we as people generally have a lot of questions about the Bible. But the Bible also asks questions of us. It's the questions that the Bible asks of us that actually need our undivided attention. And of course, we can ask God whatever we want to because he is our loving father. But our questions do not come first unless we have placed ourselves under the authority of God and his word. Until we have placed Jesus above us as the king who reigns, we cannot have the right to question him. After all, we look at Adam when he had sinned. He did not bombard God with questions, but it's God who comes to him and says, Adam, where are you? And if you look at Job, it's not his many questions that he had while he was suffering, but actually it's when God says to himself, to him, brace yourself like a man and answer me this. So this parable is not just a story of a sower sowing seed. It's actually a question from God for all of us. When the sower sows the seed, what will the seed find to rest on? What kind of soil is our heart made of? So we see Jesus presenting four different types of soil. But actually, we see that the three soil are actually bad, actually. They're unbelief. And the one is good, which is um, by faith. So maybe the question here to ask is, why are we presented with four types of soil? To answer that, we look at the fact that there's always, when, when Jesus um, sends his word, there's always a response. There's never neutrality. So it's either there's a positive response or a negative response to the word. And so we can actually mark or actually place all these um, types of responses in the different types of categories that are provided. And so if we look at verses 15 to 20, we'll find that there's hard and dry soil, there's shallow and rocky soil, there's crowded and anxious soil, and then we've got the soft and the open soil. And so let's briefly consider each. So the first one is the, the dry and hard um, heart, let's call it that. So if we look at verse 15, it reads as follows. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so far in Mark's gospel, who have we seen that has this type of heart? If you've guessed the Pharisees, you've guessed right. They do not accept Jesus as their Lord. In fact, they oppose him as an enemy. The more Jesus demonstrates his divinity, the more they oppose him. The more they see him healing and teaching, the more that they are at enmity with him. And so this is the scariest heart of all, because it is completely closed off to Jesus. It is completely uninterested in hearing him and is therefore unable to hear him. And this is the natural man that Paul speaks of. How they look on the outside is not all that, that important. Even their religious duty amounts to nothing, because their hearts are quite telling of their spiritual condition. Now what happens to the heart when, when, it, when, when, the, when the word is shared? To, to, to this type of soil. What we see is that Satan comes and he takes away the word 
he scoops it up before it even has a chance to settle. So C.S. Lewis, um, who's like Tim Keller's best friend, well, not best friend, but like <laughs> good influence, favorite person, I don't know what you call it, um, but shout out to all the Tim Keller fans, uh, VK Shabalala, we see you. And so in his fictional book, The Screwtape Letters, what we see is that um, it's a series of um, letters which are like counseled from a senior demon to a junior demon. So um, Screwtape is the senior and Wormwood is the junior. And what we see here is that Wormwood is being assigned the task of keeping a man from coming to faith. And in one of his letters, he writes, it is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. To give you some context, Screwtape is talking about prayer, and he also says, do all you can, dear Wormwood, to keep our man from praying. Take out the desire. So Satan wants to take away yours and my desire for God, no matter how small or big it is. That's why Peter tells us to be sober-minded, to be watchful, because the devil is prowling around looking for someone to devour. Now, it doesn't say that the devil is looking for someone to hug or to hold hands with. It says to devour. Now, Satan has a million methods of taking away the seed. He's really good at distracting us from God. I mean, think about it. Doesn't it always feel better to go to bed early than to read the Bible? Isn't the conversation on social media much more interesting than prayer? Doesn't self-justification feel much better than repentance? And isn't Netflix feel like better than meditating on God's word? Aren't you tempted even right now to check your phone or to make your grocery list? Um, where do you think that comes from? He's seeking someone to devour. And that's why we should be watchful. Now, I've seen with myself that if I'm not in the word, there's just, I'm, I'm lost you know, I'm, I'm lost and I'm empty. And as a people, if we don't build on the word of God, as we come together personally, but also as a, as, as, as a community, as a people, then we can't really submit to God and we can't really carry out the mission of God. In fact, we can't even impact our own families, our own friends. And I just, my prayer this morning is that as a people, we'd have a hunger for the word, that we would have a genuine hunger for the word, that when we meet with our friends, we would discuss the word, that we'd be reading and God would be revealing himself more to us and um, it would be the thing we commune over. And if you sense a hardness today, let's consider the reason that you're here today and that's for, for Jesus to grind that stone away. Since the parables come from the mouth of Jesus, they contain the power to open ears and the Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Now, the second type of heart is the shallow and the rocky heart. Now, let's have a look at verse 16 and 17. It reads as follows. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in, in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
We also get to see this kind of heart in the crowds that follow Jesus. Um, this crowd is similar to like Twitter followers. They see that Jesus is trending and they jump on that bandwagon. They love him for his miracles. Hashtag healed. Hashtag just had tea at Jesus' house. Hashtag wasn't that butter glorious. But they easily unfollow or cancel him for his exclusive claims. They do not stick with him because their hearts are not open. They say they believe in him in their minds or with their words. And actually, their actions prove otherwise. They lack the stamina to endure. When things get tough, they're like, peace out. What do we do as a people when things get tough? Are we quick to abandon Jesus? I know I will beat a dead horse down when things get tough. I will talk about that thing. Now, this is the kind of heart which doesn't treat Jesus um, as the king and the savior that he is but as the God who's there to serve us, the God who's there to meet our needs, he's actually obedient to us. He blesses our lives, and we want him to make sure that everything runs smoothly. In many ways, we are equals to him, like in a partnership. And this, ne this Jesus never offends us. He never challenges us on our views. He never calls us to ra radical obedience and to take up our cross to follow him. With this heart, things go well for some time because we've never considered the word. We've never really eaten it. We've never internalized it. We haven't really given it considerable thought. We have kept his word on the surface. And when things get tough, we leave him for something else. And when we treat Jesus as such, we jump when he no longer dances to us. I just licked the microphone. We look for something else. This is the heart that says, I've given Jesus a try, but he's really not that great. He's just like all the other gods. And then we look to the third and the crowded um, and anxious heart. The third, which, the third heart, which is the crowded and the anxious heart. So let's look at verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for the things, for other things, enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this kind of soil seems to be most prevalent in our culture today. We are most susceptible to this kind of, of heart. This heart has way too many things crowding it. It has way too many competing interests. It holds high social comfort and security, personal ambition. The anxious heart is worried about everything, everything which it cannot control. And we, have let, we as a people have let many things control, take control of us. And I don't mean to make light of anxiety and other mental issues. Some of us do need to get help. Perhaps even take some medicine or consult with a professional. Yet at the same time, we need to realize that the cause of our anxiety may merely be... Um, may not be just mental, but actually it may be a heart problem. We may have way too many competing interests inside of us. And all of these interests are at war with one another. But here's what we need to do. We need Jesus to come and obliterate all these things. We need Jesus as the sole ruler of our heart. And in his grace, we can receive that freedom, but we have to be open with him. We have to be totally um, open with him. 
We have to hold nothing back. No hidden corners, no locked doors. If we will accept that, we will be able to experience what it's like to be a, a people who have a soft heart and who are open to Jesus. And this is only what Jesus can create. So the fourth uh, a heart is soft and open. Let's have a look at verses 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And this is the heart of Jesus' disciples. They accept his word. They follow him when it's hard. They stick with him when they don't understand. They draw near and they lean in. They want Jesus. And to them are given the secrets of the kingdom of God. They not only get the knowledge of the kingdom, but they get the kingdom. They enter the reality. Now, I've had a pers- a l- like a little personal testimony with regards to this. Um, I've been reading the book of John. And um, I've just been reading the part where uh, Lazarus has just died. But as they're going, Jesus just says, he is sleeping, you know. And the crowd is like, he's dead, you know. And what I realized is that just knowing the truth that Jesus is actually the resurrection and the life has actually just brought so much life into me. But not just because it's written and it's there, but because it has been revealed and it has awakened me. And I know that no matter what happens, things are working out for my good. God is real, his kingdom is here, and he's wanting me to walk with him in bringing that reality into the lives of other people. And so we ought to be um, this heart that is soft and open. Jesus is calling us to this. So what kind of soil um, is our heart? Is it hard and dry? Is it shallow and rocky? Is it crowded and anxious? Or is it soft and open? Do we have a heart of unbelief or a heart of faith? How can we know the answer to that? Well, we look at the fruit. Well, not everyone in Christ will yield a hundredfold, but all in Christ will yield something. It's the way that we know that the seed has taken root in our life. The seeds sown in good soil will always bear fruit. The three soils are bad, but the one is good. And the fruit is all that matters. We don't want to become church monkeys. I'm sorry if that's offensive, but it's a term I coined. So basically, a church monkey is a person who just does church, but actually doesn't come into, um, come into like a revelation of who Jesus is. They're like just do it, going through the motions, and we don't want to become those people. So here's the question. How do we become the good soil? Do we get it by becoming a good person? And by good, on, on whose standard? Our mothers or our grandmothers? Or do we get it by removing the, the rocks underneath? But how far can we go? Or do we get it by uprooting the weeds? But how do we know that all of them have been uprooted? Trying harder won't produce what we need. We can never be good enough. We can never remove all the rocks or pull out enough weeds. We need another way. So interestingly, the only gospel account that doesn't include this parable is John's. But the truth it proclaims is very pertinent. As Jesus makes a turn towards Jerusalem and ultimately the cross, he tells his disciples about his upcoming death by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, 
it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is Jesus saying here? Even agriculture points to the gospel. He's saying the power of the gospel is in his death. The power of the gospel is the seed planted in the ground. Jesus is not only the sower, but he is God's seed. And the fruit we need actually grows out of his grave. But is seed really that powerful? Can it really break a, a hard-hearted sinner? Is a seed really that powerful? A seed is so weak, it's like an eyelash. You can crush it. And that's what Satan thought. He did it to Jesus on the cross. But not one of his bones were broken. In his death, Jesus wasn't a crushed seed. He was a planted seed. He fell into the earth and he died. And three days later, his power was released. Why, why did he do that? Why did Jesus become a seed? Well, if Jesus came with a sword, as the Israelites had expected, he would have cut them into many pieces. And if he had come as burning sulfur, he would have burned them to the ground. Instead, he comes as a seed to be planted for us. And that is the secret of the kingdom. So when you begin to see that, something deep happens within. Your heart of stone cracks open to Jesus. And once he's inside, his word begins to grow and grow and grow. There's a power that comes into your life. It's the power of the seed, the power of the word of God, and the power of the sower. And it has the power to transform the soil of your heart. So let me close with this. You know, we all start out the same way. We're all born sinners. We're all separated from God. And we can attribute that to what happened in the garden with Adam. But God's seed is more powerful than our unbelief. And perhaps this morning you're processing Christ in a new way. And if so, the seed of the gospel has been sown. And maybe you've walked in here not wanting Christ. And you're going to walk out here desiring him. What has happened? God has broken through. Just a disclaimer, you won't get Christ alone. You can never get Christ if you're just going to do your own thing. It's you and Jesus in your room. It doesn't work like that. You need a people to walk with. You know, people to, who are like ahead of you, people who are, who are on the same wavelength as you, and people who are basically still trying to process who Christ is. But it started way before today. When God planted the trees at creation, he had the cross in mind. When the first seed died, the resurrection was already planted. And when your heart cracks open to Jesus, your salvation was already sealed in eternity past. And that's the kind of God we have. One who loves us enough to be broken for us, who dies to save us, and who rises to give us life. If we don't listen to this message, what will we listen to? Uh, let us pray. Lord, we, we thank you that um, you are the God from the beginning. You are the God who was, you are the God who is and is to come. We thank you that when things had horribly gone wrong, you had already made a plan for us to be redeemed. We thank you that you had thought it all and that through your son, you're reconciling everything. We thank you that in you, we find life 
we thank you that there is peace between God and us. That God's wrath has been taken away because Jesus took the place. Father, we just pray that even as you have given us your word, Lord, that it would, it would bear much fruit in us, Lord. We pray and we want to see, Lord God, your kingdom come in our lives, in our families, Lord, in our community, in our spaces, Lord Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to heed to your word, that we would be a people of the word, Lord, that we wouldn't even just do it out of, I've done my quiet time, but actually that we would hunger for your word, Lord. Would you give us that desire, Lord Jesus? Would you make us unafraid, Lord, to be a people who are called to be ambassadors? Would you make us a people, Lord Jesus, who are partnering with you to bring heaven to earth? Father, would you wake, up for, wake us up from our sleep of um, routine, of, of just going through the motions? Would you help us see that you have called every single one of us to be a witness of your kingdom. We pray and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.